0: We'll do the work, all the heavy lifting. and we will arrange for same day delivery. (laughs) When it comes to quality, you can't beat this. We were rated number one last year for best innovative design. These babies are known to last 20 years, some even longer. Your kitchen will never be the same again. Consumer Reports listed this as the world's best fridge. What do you think, honey? It sounds good. Do you like it? Yeah. I like the stainless steel better than the white one. Oh, me too. (laughs) And did I mention, if you order today, the delivery is free and no interest for 24 months. Holiday special. (laughs) Done, that's a good deal. Great, congrats, I'm buying the world's most reliable fridge. Now, let's talk warranty. Warranty? We offer one year, five year, and lifetime warranties for, for a reasonable fee. Why do we need a warranty? You just said this was the world's best fridge. The warranty is just in case something should break. Break? And just in case something breaks in the first year, the one in year the warranty- In the first year? You mean the, the world's most reliable fridge you said it would last 20 years or more? Oh, it will. You said this was the world's best fridge. It is, it is. You keep saying that, but I don't think you believe it. (laughs) Folks, the warranty is just in case. Oh, so you don't know. About what? That the world's most reliable fridge won't break down in a year's time. This is the world's most reliable fridge. It shouldn't break down for the next 20 years. The warranty is just... In case? Exactly. He's starting to sound like a broken record. I'm having second thoughts. He's just trying to sell us something. He he doesn't even know if that fridge is gonna make it through the night. This is a scam. Let's get out of here.
1: So what you're saying is we're saved by grace, nothing else. And we don't have to join a certain church or give a certain amount of money? Ephesians 2, eight through nine, It tells us that it isn't works that saves us. God's grace is for everyone. And there's nothing you can do to earn it.
0: Wow, that really is good news. Yeah,
1: I think I'm ready to give my life to Christ. I'm glad to hear that. Now, for a little extra assurance. Assurance? Uh, Extra assurance, like a warranty.
0: What do we need a warranty for? I thought that- just in case. In case of what? I suggest you add some of the following to your
1: schedule. A Bible study, uh, volunteering down at the soup kitchen, children's ministries, etc. I thought you said that believing in my heart and confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord is all I had to do. It is! But for a little extra guarantee, I would suggest going on a few mission trips now and then. You said that we were saved by grace. I mean, isn't Christ alone enough?
0: <laughs> he is! He is! Y- you keep saying that, but do you believe it? Uh, you know, This is just for a little added affirmation. I thought salvation didn't depend on works.
1: Uh, it doesn't! <laughs> you are saved by grace alone! <laughs> but for a little extra guarantee. Guarantee. Exactly.
0: She's starting to sound like a broken record.
1: I'm starting to have second thoughts.
0: She's just trying to sell us something.
1: She doesn't even know if the saved by grace thing is the real deal. This is a scam. Let's get out of here. Good afternoon. How's everybody? I am very excited to be here. I, uh, I, I was off the last few weeks just uh, doing summer stuff with my, with my wife and kids, and I had a great time, but I'm really, really excited to be back. Um, I told the team a while ago that I wanted to do this series, and uh, if you know anything about, about church in the Pacific Northwest, you know that it's actually incredibly inappropriate to launch a series in summer. Uh, nobody wants you to start anything new in summer because people's attendance is so sporadic. As a matter of fact, I had lunch with a pastor recently who was telling me about the advice he got from a well-known pastor in the area, and he asked him, do you have any advice for me doing church in the Pacific Northwest? And this pastor leaned forward and said, just don't take August personally. Uh, <laughs> and so I, uh, I decided that, uh, that I really wanted to do this because I have a theme behind summer uh, ministry. And, and, it, and that has always worked for me, and so what I do is I do whatever is on my heart and whatever God is revealing to me, for me, during these uh, difficult months to kind of create momentum in ministry because at least I know I'll be transparent to where I'm at, and it has worked for me for years, and so I knew that I wanted to do this series uh, because of some different things that I've been going through in my own life, and I'm going to share those with you today, and I hope that it blesses you. you. The idea behind the series is pretty straightforward uh, because so many of us, like the drama, feel like so much of the time people are trying to sell us a better life. They're trying to sell us God so that he can fix in our life the things that are broken or in case something in our life breaks, we can go to God and he can, he can sprinkle his uh, spiritual magic on it and we'll be okay. And I've often felt that way even as a pastor that that if I'm not careful, I'll sort of get on stage and start proclaiming to people all the benefits of following Christ and being a Christian versus all uh, the negatives of, of following the world and, and, and not being a Christian. And sometimes I feel like maybe that's what God's called me to do, but most of the time I don't really walk off stage feeling like, man, that was, that was exactly what I wanted to do. Rather, I think spending time with God, like you saw in the One Crowded Hour intro video just now is more about you spending time with God, fully present where you are, how you are, and how you experience him. I know for me, uh, summers are full of campouts with my kids, even campouts in our backyard. And those crowded hours around a little campfire pit that we have, spending time looking at one another's faces through the flicker of the flames, are some of the most intimate and, and, and best experienced times I have with my family. More than more than uh, big projects or things we're hoping to accomplish, I love spending that single one crowded hour with them. So this whole series is based on that concept because that's where I'm at. I want to learn better how to spend one crowded hour with Christ, how to experience everything uh, that I can from him, not in the, in the idea of 60 minutes, but in the idea of my life. Now, the term one crowded hour comes from a poem that I heard about from Thomas Mordaunt. And Thomas Mordaunt lived in the 1700s, and he was a British officer in the Seven Year War. And at some point during the war, when things were just at their bleakest, he wrote this phrase known as the call. He said, Sound, sound the clarion, fill the fife. Throughout the sensual world proclaim. One crowded hour of glorious life is worth an age without a name i heard this poem and i was intrigued not because the poem said something i had never thought about but the poem put it a different word something i've actually thought about quite a bit now i've shared with you my story in the past i've shared with you that like a lot of people who deal with a lot of things i have some trauma in my life most of it related to childhood sickness now When you go through trauma or any experience in life, it usually will cause things in your world to be shifted to be one way or the other. And ever since I was quite a young person, I've been kind of obsessed with this idea of living a glorious life, living a life not wasted, living a life uh, in pursuit of whatever I feel God has built me to pursue And, and just going at whatever breakneck speed I could to get to where I was supposed to be. As a matter of fact, in the midst of my tattoos and uh, those sorts of things, I have the phrase, una via extraordinaire, on my body, which is French for an extraordinary life. This is, for years now I've had this phrase, because for years I've been obsessed with this idea of not wasting who I am in pursuit of things that don't matter. Now, to my own detriment, and my wife would happily take the stage for 35 to 40 minutes and share with you all of the decisions I've made in regards of this sort of breakneck pace that I used to live and sometimes still find myself falling back into, to my own detriment, I have made decisions based on this pace of life that weren't helpful for me. As a matter of fact, up until only recently, was I able to work through some of the things in my own subconscious because of my story. By the way, all of this relates to all of you. Everything you do, you do for a reason. I don't know if you know that or not. I don't know if anybody's ever sat on any kind of emotional health work or sat in any kind of therapy where someone walks through the decisions you make and why you make them. There are reasons for what you do. You just don't start to do this or start to do that just because. You do it because of stuff that's built inside you, stuff you've experienced. And it's a way for you to process those things. Well, in my own life, just recently, within the last three weeks or so, I began to realize that because of my childhood experiences, I worked a very fast pace, not just to live a glorious life, but because I actually believed somewhere deep down inside, I wouldn't live a very long one. See, when you sit with doctors from, you know, 3 to 15, and they tell you, hey, this surgery's pretty bad, and hey, this recovery's gonna be rough, and hey, we don't really know the outcome. After a while, even at 20, 25, 30, 35, and 39, you're sort of still waiting for somebody to tell you, hey, this bad thing's gonna happen. We don't really know. So you're not gonna waste your life. I'm gonna be 40 years old in November. I cannot believe that I'm gonna be 40 years old. I never thought for some reason I would live to be 40 years old. Just never crossed my mind. So I lived at a breakneck pace. But now here I am at 40 with a wife who's 10 days older than me. So I'm married to an older woman. For a while, I'm going to be 39 married to a 40-year-old. I don't even know what that's going to be like, but I'm going to do it. Because it's, you know, it's my cross to bear. (laughs) My wife is making no eye contact with me right now. All of us have stuff and reasons. Mine was this. And so as I heard this poem and tied it to my stuff, Una Via Extraordinary, Living an Extraordinary Life, I started to ask all kinds of questions about all kinds of things, about who is Danny now at 39, almost 40? What, what have I done that, that is glorious for God, and what will I do, and, and what does it really mean to live a glorious life, and what would it look like to spend one crowded hour with Christ, and how would, he, how would that hour compare to the last 39 years and 10 months or so? And inside all those questions came this series. It's got a summer campout theme, because it's the easiest way I could relate to that one crowded hour. And so for a few weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. For a few weeks, we're just going to sit inside this place where we ask these kind of questions about us, who we are, and where we're going. I've... Uh, I've wondered how this series would translate because, as someone said after the last series, I can't believe we not only started the summer series, but we started it talking a little bit about death. This just does not seem like a good plan whatsoever. (laughs) But in my mind, where I'm at right now, it's exactly where we should be. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. Here's the preface to how I believe we should talk about this today. Uh, A couple months back, I put up some plans of our building that we are remodeling at Main Street. These are the actual electrical blueprints from Main Street. We're actually going to frame these and put them all around the church. And so they're kind of a neat thing. These are the original electrical blueprints. And as anybody here would know, these were built a few years before the building was completed in 1955, which meant that an entire group of people about 60 years ago got together and made plans put those plans on paper, and then watched a building go up. At the end of the building's uh, completion, they stood back, perhaps with uh, crossed arms and, and sideways smiles and said, it's complete. We did it. That's pretty amazing. Now, fast forward to us now. We're sitting here neck deep in designs for a remodel. As a matter of fact, that's why we're having the meeting next week for uh, the last 15 minutes of service. I would love for you guys to be there. We're going to release all our guests and in the last 15 minutes. We're going to catch everybody up with the elders about where we're at in our project and, and how things are going. So that'll be exciting. And the reason we're doing that is so that we can, at the end of the project, stand back with arms crossed and maybe half sideways smile and say, it's complete. We did it. So If I want to know what a glorious life looks like, if I want to measure it and I want to see it, I think probably what I have to do is go to the end of someone's life who looked back upon their life and said, it's complete, it's glorious, and then evaluate that life. But where can I do that? See, everyone I know is still living. So I started thinking, I have no one who's died who I can go meet up and go, hey, I heard you lived a pretty glorious life. I'd like to talk to you about that. Everyone I know is living, and everyone I know still questions death, and what does it mean, and where, where do we fit in it? And even people who are, who are quite elderly still question some of this idea, and, and it's a very normal human condition. And so I knew nowhere else to go but Scripture. And so I went to Scripture to answer this very difficult question. And in answering this question, I found an incredible piece that I want to share with you today. Now, before I read the Scripture, let me just say this. Uh, I don't think talking about death should be as discouraging as we like to talk about it. As a matter of fact, Chuck Swindoll, uh, at 79 years old, wrote this little chapter about death, and I thought I would share it with you. He said, ever thought about how you hope to die? And then he said these words. One man with a choice sense of humor wrote, When I die, I want to go like my grandfather did, peacefully in his sleep, not screaming and yelling like the other people in his car. (laughs) (laughs) I had a few folks say that was completely inappropriate, but Chuck wrote it. Chuck, not me. You write Chuck an email and let him know you didn't think it was funny. (laughs) I'm going to go like my grandpa. I mean, he was just quietly asleep. Everybody else was unhappy about the situation, but this is what he said following that. I know, I know, death isn't funny. But on the other hand, does it always have to be morbid, grim, and depressing? He says, when I ask people how you hope to die, I'm really asking about how you intend to live until you die. What will be the condition of your mind and your heart when death comes for you? How will you spend your days prior to taking your final breath? Now, for our great blessing, we have the gift of Scripture to answer these kinds of questions. And as I said, I wanted to find somebody who had lived a glorious life, and the best example I could find of someone in the Bible described as living the kind of life that I would hope to live would be the one we call the father of our faith, Abraham. Now, there's a reason I choose Abraham today to talk about versus anyone else, and that is because Abraham is the only person spoken about three times as a friend of God. As a friend of God. Three times. 2 Chronicles 27, 20 verse 7. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Think about that. Abraham was known by others as a friend of God. James two twenty three, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. And lastly and probably most beautiful Isaiah 41:8 the Lord speaking through the prophet but you Israel my servant Jacob whom I have chosen the offspring of Abraham my friend For me if any one example can be lifted up as an illustration of a life gloriously well lived this has to be it Abraham was a man plucked out of an existence that really didn't matter and transformed into the father of an entire uh, nation, let alone an entire belief system that brings salvation to the entire world. They give a quick description of this man in Hebrews 11:8 8 through 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, I'll put it on the screen. It quite simply defines him in just the first verse uh, in this way. It says, by faith... By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and in him, as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13, these all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Abraham was a man who, I don't know if people even realize, um, God did not choose Abraham because Abraham was righteous. As a matter of fact, Abraham was a complete pagan worshiping a pagan God in a pagan system. Much of the things within Abraham's life were actually being undone by his calling to another land away from the people he knew because of who he originally was. People will often say that Abraham was, was righteous and he was holy and he was all these things and he was searching for more. That's just simply not the case. God chose him because God chose him and God used him because God used him and then God undid him Over the next 80-plus years, he undid this man and brought to him all kinds of spiritual awakenings that you and I still get to walk through today. Abraham is no different than anyone else, and that's what makes him so incredibly special. Because he lived, as you'll see in the way he died, a glorious life. But he didn't do it any different than you and I. He was doing what he was doing, and God said, follow me. And he got up like the disciples who would follow Jesus later and went somewhere he didn't know he was going. So many of us in this room, we're waiting for God to give us clear direction before we really choose to truly buy in to his purpose and to his will for our life. And we're hoping that before death comes from us, we'll find that purpose. I'm here to tell you the day that Abraham stepped out heading into the unknown land, he was living his purpose for God. Even though it would be years and multiple failures, multiple broken promises on his part, multiple experiences that brought him low and to a place where God had to remind him of his unbreakable covenant. Multiple times he doubted. Multiple times he was afraid. I mean, Abraham did some very unchurchlike things. Because... Because, like Crystal, Abraham, he was raised a heathen. Now, I realize probably only Crystal and Abraham were raised as heathens. Everybody else in here is fine. (laughs) But God seems to really like those people. As a matter of fact, I didn't get to meet um, uh, Crystal and Will till in between services. And I told her, I said, hey, listen... My last service was difficult because the worship was so good, it took me 15 minutes to compose myself. And she's like, thank you. And in dead seriousness, I said, can you bring a little less Holy Spirit this time around? Because I, I have a job to do. And she just kind of looked at me like, no. And so, and so uh, that's probably some of her heathenness still sprinkling out of her that she wouldn't listen. But everybody, you know, God uses them all. God uses them all. God uses Abraham in this incredible way, and I think part of the reason he uses him specifically in this incredible way and does so much with him is because he's so like us. And all along the way, you see this throughout his story. Now, here's the point. I told you that 60-some-odd that years ago, some people took blueprints. They made a plan. They stepped back in when it was done. And they said, it's completed. It's finished. We did what we hoped to accomplish. And now we're in that same process. What if you right now could look forward to the end of your life, the completion of your life? What would you hope to look back at that was completed and done? What would you hope to see at your death that you accomplished? Now, we know what Abraham saw. We know that he was a friend of God in spite of all the failures and all the mistakes and all the issues that went on. We know it because God himself called it as well as did other writers of the Bible. We know this. Scripture proclaims this. So we know that it's not a performance thing. We know that it's not some sort of scale that's measured by how good you are. We know that. What we know is that Abraham, by faith, went where God called him and kept going where God called him. And at the end of his life, he was able to look back and proclaim it glorious. We know that. I'm going to show you in just a second. But before I show you, because I don't want you to put your thoughts and pretend somehow that you get to have what Abraham had, because it depends, I believe, on your countenance and your approach to the relationship you have with God. Abraham was willing. Every time he failed, it was proven that he was willing. Some of you in this room, you're just not willing. And it has nothing to do with your failures. You're just not willing to truly walk out where God wants you to go. Do you know why? Because you don't know where it's going to lead. You don't even know what's going to turn out. Yet you hope at the end of your life, like I think everyone in here does, to look back upon it like people looking back upon well-laid-out plans and see something built in the wake of your existence that proclaims you did it well. I know I am. I'm obsessed with it. I know why. Una via extraordinaire. Because I didn't think I had that long to live. Well, just recently, I was sharing this with somebody. As a matter of fact, I was sharing it so much with a friend of mine that that I really began to spin on it for probably a solid two weeks. And I spun on it for a solid two weeks. And have you ever done this where you just think about stuff so much you end up dreaming about it? Right? Right? And you just kind of end up dreaming. And I'm not a prophecy and dreams guy, okay? I'm not saying God doesn't do that. He just doesn't appear to do that with me. And while I was sitting and spinning on this whole idea of, well, I'm not, I don't know why I didn't think I wasn't going to live long. And I don't know how this has impacted my decision-making. And I just think I'm going to die soon. And I I've just always thought I was going to have a short life and death and death and death and death and death. I had this dream. And I was an old man, which was odd. Still had all my hair, though, which was epic, right? I was like, hmm. <laughs> This dream must be true. It was just flowing. I had all kinds of beautiful hair. Not a stitch of it was gone. So I thought maybe this is a real prophecy. Uh, I was an old man, right? And I was dying. And inside my death, the experience I had for me was, I'm going to tell you what I felt inside it that brought freedom to me in this place that I've wrestled with for 39 years now. I had the experience that inside my death, that, that, I had, that I had done this, that I had lived this life that was, that was for glory to God. And with all its failures and mess-ups, I had, I had done this in the dream. And at the end of it, when death came for me, it felt like um, the only way I could describe it is it felt like, have you ever been somewhere, although beautiful, just too long? Have you ever been like, like on a vacation that just lasted? Maybe some of you haven't, but I've been on a vacation that I did everything I wanted to do on the vacation, and I felt like I stayed about three days too long, and I was like, man, I'm just satisfied. I'm just content. I, I just I want to go home. I just want to see my family. I want to see my kids. I want to go to work. I got stuff to do. I want to sleep in my own bed. I want to go where I belong. And I've, I've had that experience maybe two or three times where I'm like, oh, we got to be here another two days. I mean, I, I wish we would have left a little while ago. Inside this dream that I had, this old man with beautiful flowing hair, that's the feeling that I had that I believe God gave me which was a sense of when you've lived your life truly doing all you can and and with all its scars and brokenness for God when death comes for you you can maybe be in a place where you say yeah I've been here too long I'm ready to go I got work to do I want to go sleep in my own bed I want to see my friends I want to spend time walking with God, and I've done everything that I need to do here. And I woke up out of that dream, and as the Lord is my witness, with zero anxiety anymore about when God's going to call me home, because that's what I want, and I think that's the gift that he gave me. I believe it has, again, nothing to do with performance. It has to do with your, my perspective about what it means to be in relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, with his story, with where he's calling you that you don't understand and know and yet still willing to go, proclaiming him worthy, proclaiming him glorious, proclaiming him as the only one who who is the answer to everything and knowing like Abraham, you did nothing to deserve it. God just picked you because he picked you and you're willing to walk it out. This was a beautiful place for me This happened prior to the study that I did on Abraham and his death, this whole thing I just said with you. But I knew that today inside One Crowded Hour, because Abraham was called friend of God three times, that he would be the one I thought best emphasized a person who lived a glorious life. And so I wanted to look at his death in more depth, and that's exactly what I did. Genesis 25, 7 and 8 simply describes the death of Abraham like this. It says, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Now, this verse, on a surface level, is nice, but it doesn't really give you the full picture. And oftentimes in Scripture, you've really got to pack in what, and look inside what the, the, the writers are telling you. This idea right here that he died as an old man full of years has nothing specific to do with how long he lived. And we know that because it already gave you how long he lived. It's 175 years. We're not going to share he died. I mean, we all know 175, he died full of years. Why re-describe it? This idea of full of years is actually a very specific word, and it's the word seba. And the word full of years really, literally means full of satisfaction or full of contentment. And not only does it mean full of satisfaction or full of contentment, it actually comes along with this picture, as so many Hebrew words do. It comes along with a picture of a man sitting at a table, And having a meal. And after eating all that he could possibly eat, it has to do with him physically pushing himself away from the table and proclaiming, I've had enough. I want no more. I'm finished. Yeah, Abraham lived 175 years, and many miserable people live a long time. But to live, and better yet, to die full of years, full of satisfied years full of years that were fulfilled is to push yourself away from the table of life, from this thing that God built in spite of you and your choices and to proclaim it, finished, done, with no desire to stay any longer. (laughs) That to me is how a friend of God dies, full of glorious life. And that, to me, is how a friend of God lives, going into the unknown, knowing that whatever happens, God will make it, bring glory to him. This is what One Crowded Hour is about. It's about being people like Abraham who die with a full smile, full of years, full of satisfaction. It's about people uh, who are willing to realize that for most of us, We fear death. I heard a TED talk on this recently. A lady said, Most of us fear death, but the reality is, most of us in this room will die with friends and family around us holding our hands, proclaiming to us how much they love us. Most of us. Most of us. But not all of us will be able to look back upon our lives knowing that we invested in the things that God intended. I want to be a friend of God. I want to bring glory to his name. I want to live a glorious life worthy of this kind of glorious death. But I'm afraid most of us, unless we're we're very, very specific about willing to walk through this kind of pondering, will miss this. Chuck Swindoll closed this section that I was reading about death and said this. Be aware, so many die long before they draw their last breath. They simply stop living. They no longer seek all the joy and purpose and pleasure that life has for them. After a certain age or a certain amount of failure, they figure, well, it's over. It's all history for me now. I have nothing left to give and nothing more to gain. And in his 81-year-old wisdom at this time, he said, but all of this is uh, what he would say Greek for hogwash. He says it's just all not true, that God is unfolding himself before people at every single minute of every single day of every single year of their lives. My friends, Abraham never stopped living his life. He never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, fully convinced that God was able and is able to do whatever he Promises, And in this he brought glory to God and so lived a glorious life. For he was filled with many crowded hours of glorious living. Sound, sound the clarion. Fill the fife. Throughout the sensual world proclaim. One crowded hour of glorious life is worth an age without a name. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we ponder today during our physical and spiritual existence here in this room, what it is that you want us to accomplish with this life that you've bestowed upon us. May you in this place right now, God, just bestow upon us a sense of your spirit's presence, a sense, Lord, of how you want to continue to reveal yourself to us no matter where we are, no matter what season of life, No matter how much failure, how much brokenness, no matter how many mistakes we've made, no matter how much of our story has been downhill or uphill or sideways or stuck, Lord, we can be people renewed, reformed, replanted, rebuilt, restored. We can be people who proclaim we don't know where you're taking us, but we know that you are God. And so, Lord, in this room right now, I just, I ask for just an incredible sense of freedom that there will be people here today who leave here recognizing that their life can be summed up in one crowded hour with you, one experience, one moment of worship, one prayer, one proclamation of willingness to follow. Wherever you go, wherever you take us, God, each of us, we know you're already there. And so, Lord, to you we proclaim the glory. To you we proclaim the honor. To you we proclaim the worthiness of our worship. And I ask, Lord, in this room right now, this just wouldn't be another church experience, another sermon, another song. But it would be, God, a spiritual breaking, an awakening of people as they realize how much love you have for them. How incredible How incredible is the grace and love of God. Lord, we thank you. We proclaim you. We sing to you now as you do your work amongst us. And all of God's people said, Amen.
0: Behold, Jehovah, seated on.